already thought about it. You're a good, faithful man. God bless you. Attack upon our country 22 years ago, and some of you are too young to remember that, but it's something we don't want to ever forget uh, when our nation was attacked. And uh, God is, is the hope of our nation, uh, not, not our guns, uh, not our, our parties, but, but God, He's our Savior. We need to put confidence in Him, not in princes or in horses, as the Psalms say. Uh, would you open your Bible to two places? First of all, to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And after that, find First Peter chapter 3. And we will look in those places, and I'll give you other verses. I hope you'll jot some verses down uh, as I preach this morning. And I believe that it will be a help to you. Uh, for those that are uh, <clears throat> here for the first time or you weren't here two weeks ago, when I explained this, I, I'll do so again. I haven't been in a fight. Um, I uh, was diagnosed with some uh, pre-cancer on my face, and so they gave me some cream. And in the cream is chemotherapy. And some of you have already had this type of thing and are very familiar with it. And so that's why my face is red. And so uh, Paula didn't have an idea in the kitchen with bacon grease. Uh, It's just uh, something that that attacks my... Anywhere that there's red is where there there are some cancer cells. And so I'm very thankful for medicine and doctors and so forth. So I appreciate your prayers. But that's what's going on with me. So uh, you can talk to me about it. But I didn't want you to say, man, I, I don't want to say anything. What's going on there? And hopefully it'll go away. We'll see. i got to talk to my doctor this week to see when I can stop applying this stuff. Okay, enough of that. Uh, we'll look in Galatians chapter 6. I want to talk to you today about having an impact on people that are the closest to you with the gospel. Um, through the years, um, every couple of years, I sometimes will hand out like a little bookmark uh, or a three-by-five card or, or a little card, so as to say. And, and on that, there will be some lines with some brief instructions on how to make out a prayer list. And on that prayer list, it's specifically designed to pray for unsaved people. And I'm asking you to do that, that... God would not only give you opportunities to speak with them, but to pray for them. That also that God would bring people across their path. Maybe they live in another state or another country, and you're not able to see them very often. But God would bring a strong Christian across their path. I pray that for my children that are not uh, uh, with me and for my grandchildren. That he would give them godly friends and so forth. But... uh, At the top of those lists, I will assure you one thing, or or two things, and that is your friends and your loved ones. When you make that list of people that you're praying for, that you want to see to come to Christ, are the people that are the closest to you, because those are the people that you care about the most. Now, as I lay the foundation for this message, I want you to see that that is not unusual. That even in the Bible, and I'm just going to give you kind of a sampling, there's more than this, of people that prayed for their people. They prayed for their relatives, so as to say. Uh, First of all, Paul did this. You're familiar with this in Romans chapter 9 in the first three verses. And notice his heart here. He said, and the reason he appeals to Christ and his conscience and the Holy Spirit is because what he is about to say is so unique that it's startling. In fact, you're going to say, well, I don't believe that. So he appeals to his conscience and he appeals to to Christ and to the Holy Spirit to, to bear witness to what he's about to say. He really meant this. Romans chapter 9 and verse 1, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. That I watch this. I have great heaviness and continual continual sorrow in my heart. Uh, do, you, do you ever feel that way? 
uh, just a great burden, a heaviness in your spirit, in your heart, a continual sorrow because of the destination of someone. And notice this. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, being accursed from Christ means that he would receive the curse, the judgment from God in their stead. It means he's willing to go to hell. Now, he's a Christian. He's been forgiven of his sins. And he's saying that I would would go to hell for these people. Could you say that? That's why he said, I, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. He, he's making this plea and appealing because it, it sounds so outrageous, but it's true. Could you say this? I say, could you, because I have to examine my heart. I, I don't know that I could. I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my, now look at this, for my brethren, my kinsmen. Now who is this? These are his people. My brothers, those that are kin to me according to the flesh. Three times there he talks about people that are related to him in the flesh. My kinsmen, my brethren, those that are related to me in the flesh. Not only were they at the top of Paul's prayer list, he carried a a burden for them and he had continual sorrow in his heart because of their destination was hell. He came to the place where he said, "If if, if my people would be saved because Jesus died for them, that I would be willing to be lost. That's in chapter 9. If you turn your page in the Bible... In the next chapter, Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, here's what he said. He wrote, brethren, my heart's desire. You see, this, my, this, this is a desire of my heart. If he was making a prayer list, praying, and my prayer to God, this because this is my heart, out of the abundance of the heart and the mouth speaks. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel. Don't miss this. For my people, it goes back to chapter 9. For my kinsmen, my brethren, those that that are, are according to my flesh, my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, he had this, this unusual degree of burden for his family, if you will. Then you see this in the heart of Moses. This is one of the most... Incredible scriptures in all the Bible of intercessory prayer. Now, inter, intercessory prayer, we talk about interceding for someone. Do you know what that means to, to pray with the spirit of interceding? Now, watch this. When you intercede for someone in prayer, you are praying for them as it, if it were your burden. If I'm praying for you, I'm not just praying in a passive way. I'm interceding for you as if it were my financial need, as if it were my illness, as if it were my family need, as if it were my broken heart. I am interceding for you. And I'll tell you, the mark of an intercessor is they ask about the need. They will ask you, hey, how, how is that situation doing? There, there are people like that. In our church family. Uh, and the reason I know is, is they pray for me. And I pray for them. But they monitor and they ask and they check up. They're intercessors. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He came down and the people were, because he'd been up there for 40 days, he'd been fasting. With not a drink of water, no food. Basking in the presence of God. When he came down, his face glowed. And when he came down, he heard a raucous noise. You ever read that passage? It was a noise, but they were singing. Did you know that there is music that is not melodious, but it's a noise? That's why I believe that music, music is not all moral. Some people say, well, music is all moral. No, it's not. No, it's not. There is some music that's from the pit of hell. And so 
Moses comes down and he hears this noise. The Bible says they're singing. Now let me fast forward a little bit. He comes down and they're, some of the people are naked and they're dancing around a golden calf. Where did they get that from? They got that idea from Egypt where they had come from. And they're dancing and they're, they're singing and they're worshiping. And Aaron, his brother, had crafted this golden calf and he made, it, made up this story that it, it leapt out of the fire and, and he had created this. And Moses became so angry that he threw the, the commandments that God had engraved with his finger on the ground and they broke. Moses went back up to the mountain. God was angry. He was angry with the people because they had his covenant people. For all of these reasons, you can read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 also. And he meets with Moses and he says, I, These are my people. I, I, I'll bring you. I'll bring you into the promised land, but I don't want to bring them. And Moses makes some pleas. Exodus chapter 32, verse 31, Moses returned to the Lord and said, now he's praying, oh, now I want to just stop there. And you see me do this a lot when I preach the Bible, as I teach the Bible, I don't just read the verse. Don't skip that word, oh. Have you ever been praying and, and your, your heart was so burdened and all you could say was, oh? And he, he says some words here, this people have sinned a great sin. But he started with, oh, oh. It's an utterance of the heart. It's the utterance of a broken heart. Don't miss that. We, we need some, oh, pray. Oh, God, this, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin. And if not, he prays a prayer similar to Paul. Blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. There are different theories and ideas on the book. Some people think it had to do with allowing him into the land, that book. Some think it's a book of the living. I think it's, it's the book of life involving his soul. Blot me out of the book which thou hast read. He, he, he's interceding for them. God save them, but take me. Here's a man praying for people that had mistreated him and done him wrong. And really, in a sense, he was responsible for his sin, but led him to a point of anger where he had forfeited the privilege to go into the promised land and he died a premature death. Deuteronomy chapter 34 and he could not go into the promised land. Oh, oh God, if thou wilt forgive their sin. If you'll notice uh, the verse, I don't know if you have that up there in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 32. If thou wilt forgive their sin. There, there, there are two dashes after it. If thou wilt forgive their sin, there's two dashes. It's not, a, it, it, it's not grammar. They are not Hebrew letters. If thou wilt forgive their sin, and then there's two dashes, and then there's a semicolon. Now, some people say, well, that's a change in time. But it's not, because he, he continues his prayer. Some people say it's a, a change in topic. It's not a change in topic. He's continuing with the same idea. It's not either one of those. It's not a change of anything. It goes back to the O. What it is, is when Moses wrote this, he's interceding for someone that is about to make a life-altering decision, in fact has. And their authority, the supreme authority, God, is making a decision that's going to affect them. And when he comes with, with this prayer, it, it is so filled with passions, with, with so much emotion, with so much compassion. Listen, 
that, that there are no words. If thou wilt forgive their sin, and, and if you'll allow me to say this, I, I, I don't, we don't know, but it's almost an emotional expression. There are no words for it. If thou wilt forgive their sin, he doesn't say anything. And if not, he really does, he just, it's an implication. Have you ever prayed like that? Moses did, and he was praying for his, his family, if you will. David understood this in Psalm 119 and verse 36, this kind of a burden. He said, rivers of waters run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. Not tears run down my face. Notice the metaphor, rivers of waters. Have you ever cried like that? We don't cry like that often. But I want you to notice what the text says, because they, who is they? It's his people. Rivers of waters, I'm crying like a fountain because my people are disobedient. They're away from you. My heart is so broken. Like Moses, all I I can say is, oh, all I can say in Exodus 32 is is just, it's unutterable. It's just an emotional gasp. Jeremiah understood this burden. In fact, he understood it often. He was a very tender man. You see this over and again. I'm just going to give you one illustration. In Jeremiah chapter, I'm sorry, Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 48. He said something similar to David. Mine eye runneth thou with rivers of waters. Not just with tears. Notice, Notice the picture. With rivers of waters for the destruction of the daughter of my people. I'm burdened for my people. They're going into captivity. And I'm weeping over this. In verse 49, mine eye trickleth down. And look at this. And ceaseth not without any intermission. It just goes on and on and on. You know, maybe, maybe we don't have intercessory prayers like this because we don't carry a burden like this. Maybe occasionally we'll we'll write a name down and, well, I need to pray for them or we, we pray for them, but we don't really pray for them because we don't have the burden for them. Jesus understood this kind of a burden when he came to the city of Jerusalem right before he died, the week before he died as he approached the city in Luke chapter 19 and verse 41. And when Jesus was come near... He beheld the city and he wept over it. He wept over it. What was the city? It was Jerusalem. And if you read the rest of the verses, he he was foreseeing in 40 years the Romans were going to come in and they were going to raise, R-A-Z-E, the temple and destroy that city and build trenches about and rape their women and kill their children and take all the gold and melt it down of the temple. He, he wasn't weeping over the architecture. He wasn't weeping over the buildings. He was weeping over people and their ability to worship. He's, he was weeping and he beheld the city and he wept. Now, even, even, if you, even if you carry this kind of burden, and I'll tell you, I believe this, I believe this. That if people just had, listen carefully, if people had one person that really cared about them, that God could work in their life. If they had one person. Now, it may not even be their parents. It may not be. It may be a best friend. It may be a coach. It may be a youth pastor. But it goes back to that old statement I've given to you. It's not in the Bible, but the principle of it is that people don't care how much you know. Do they know how much you care? They're not listening. 
because they don't see the tears. They, they, they don't sense the oh. And, and listen, they don't need to hear you pray, but they hear the way you talk to them after you have not prayed or after you've said your prayers. And when there's no compassion, when there's no tenderness, when there's no concern, when there's no care, when there's no compassion, they, they don't respond. In spite of our, our burden or our stated burden, the most difficult people to witness to are the people that know us the best. Our parents, our brothers, our children, our cousins, our uncles. And then after our family, it's our best friends. Sometimes it's easier to witness to people that don't know us well. And why is that? Because most of the time it's because they know us well. They know our weaknesses. They're familiar with our words. They're familiar with our our lifestyle. And here's my question, and, and here's the message. How do we influence these people to come to Christ? How do we impact people that are so-called resistant to the gospel? Because you have people like this. Maybe it's a boss, a co-worker, maybe a brother, maybe a mom, a dad, somebody in your family that you love and you care for. But, but you say, I, I've talked to them. You know, we, we've argued. You know, my, the strength of my argument isn't going. Listen, you're not stuck. You say, well, I've witnessed to him what I do now. Well, you're not stuck. God has a strategy. Okay, well, I'm going to pull my paper out, and I'm going to write down this strategy. The strategy is not steps. The strategy is you. That's the strategy. God will use you to soften their heart. Now, the Holy Spirit will convict them, but he will convict them through the Word of God and through the people of God. God will use you. Now, people that have the heart of a servant make the best witnesses. People that have the heart of a servant make the best witnesses. Arrogant people that know the Bible are not good witnesses because they have a spirit of pride. People that can debate well and destroy people with their arguments, are not good witnesses. You see, they're defense attorneys. They're judges. God didn't call you to be an attorney or a judge. He called you to be a witness. A witness just testifies to what they see. Now, I want you to learn the Bible, but I want you to learn it to obey it. Not to, the Bible is not a weapon for you to destroy people with. It's a weapon against the enemy. Lost people are not our enemies. They're victims of Satan. They need to be saved. In Paul's day, if you wanted to to go preach somewhere, you had to have uh, commendations. You had to have recommendations. It's, it's like today, if you want to get a job, you have to have letters of recommendation. Well, in Paul's day, especially if you weren't a, an apostle, their, their recommendations were signs and wonders. But if you were a traveling preacher, well, well who do you know? And you would have a letter or an epistle. The word epistle means a letter. Do you have an epistle from someone that recommends you? Yes. Do you know Pastor so-and-so or brother? Oh, I know them. Well, here, here, here's a letter that recommends me. I spoke in their church. Now, with that in mind, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul, the church at Corinth, uh, they were dismissing Paul. He had founded the church under God, through the word of God. But they were dismissing him. And 2 Corinthians is basically a defense of his ministry and his person. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul said to them, to the church, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Do I, do I have to brag on myself? Do I need to tell you who I am? I, I want most of you to Christ. I, I led you to Jesus. I discipled you. I preached the word of God. God used me humanly. He did the work, but humanly, I, I 
establish this church. You know who I am. Or need we, Paulus and Timothy and others, do we need, as others do, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Do we need, do we need recommendations from you or do we need, and, and really he, he's, being, he's being sarcastic here. Because the answer is, well, well, no, Paul. And here's what he says, and I have this underlined. Ye are our epistle, or you, you're, you're our recommendation, written in our hearts. Now, pay attention to this. Don't miss this. Known and read of all men. Don't miss that. People know you, and they read you. They're not going to read my letter. They're going to read you. Oh, I know Paul. Oh, you do. Oh, I want to hear him. I've watched your life. I watch the way you treat your children. I watch the way you treat your husband. I watch the way you treat your wife. I watch the way you get along with your brothers and sisters. I watch the way you honor your parents. I want some of that. Wow. If you learned that there at that church, I want some of that. Known and read of all men. You see, you are a walking epistle. Every person in here, a letter. And then he goes on and says, For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the letter of Christ, or like the Bible, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus changed your life. The Holy Spirit lives in you now. And you represent Him. And you represent this church at Corinth. You don't, you don't need my letter. You are a letter. Well, that, that's frighteningly sober. Dale Moody said this. I want you to ponder this. He said, out of 100 men, one will read the Bible. The other 99 will read the Christian. That's sober. You see, you want to argue the Bible, but they can't hear the Bible because they they hear your spirit. They hear your attitude. You want to post things on Facebook about how clever you are. But sometimes they they see boasting or or they see how how you treat people at work or, or fill in the blank. And they're not listening. Because you you are the Bible. You're the only Bible most people will ever read. You're representing Christ and giving a, and, and I represent Him and give a poor picture of Him. Are you listening? In Galatians chapter six, we've been talking about investing and inviting. I want you to read this with me, and I want you to look at some words. We'll underline. Notice in verse six. Let him that is taught, this is a congregation, Paul's talking to the church at Galatia. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth. Now the word communicate means to share. It doesn't mean to talk. It's a, it, it means to fellowship. And, and it has the idea, <clears throat> pardon me, it means to fellowship with your giving. Here's the idea is I want you to, to give of your resources, your financial resources, you have people that come in, like Brother Wood came in. He ministered to us. Uh, he taught you the Word of God. I want you to give to him of your resources financially. And don't miss this. Communicate in him that teacheth in all good things. That's a good thing. And don't miss the word good. You're doing good when you do that. That's a good thing. When you give financially... When you communicate financially, when you share, that's a good thing. You're doing good. And then he goes into the law of sowing and reaping because he wants to encourage them that when you when you do that, God's going to give back to you. Verse 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows of the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I want you to, to be a giver. Not just to those that teach you, but those that have influenced you. Just, just give to people. 
the people that have influenced you. Be a giver. Don't be a taker. Communicate with them. Not just verbally. It's good to do it verbally. But give of your resources to them. Honor them. Now I want you to look at this. And verse 9 there says to do good, but let's not be weary in well-doing. And well-doing. Notice that. Well-doing. You're doing good. Verse 10 As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good. You see the theme here, unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. Verse 6, a person that gives of his resources is doing good. Verse 9, don't don't be weary, don't get tired of, of doing good. Verse 10, as we have opportunity, God will bring opportunities, I believe, daily. In your life, let us do good. Let us do good. Notice the theme, giving, serving, living with a heart focused on others. So serving others gives me a hearing to sow the seed of the gospel. That's what he's saying in verse 10. As we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men. All men. Lost people, Christians. So I'm sowing the seed. I'm a giver primarily of the gospel, but I'm to be generous to all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. The word household means your home, and it means the people in your church, and it extends to other believers, especially unto the believers, especially take care of them. Now, here's why doing good is important. I'm going to hit this again. Because serving validates your faith and gives you a platform for your testimony. It validates your faith when you do good. People know there's a Christian right there. Now, I, I, don't, I don't agree with his worldview, but i tell you one thing. He, he, he lives what he teaches. I, I don't like a lot of things about what he believes, but... I respect him. Let us do do good unto all men. Here's a question. How do you behave when you've been mistreated and done wrong? How, how do you do good when you've been mistreated and you've been done wrong? What do you do? Because you, some of you... In your family, you're praying for them to be saved. You have a brother, you have a sister, you have a cousin, you have an uncle, a grandfather, a parent, you have a child. At work, you have someone that you used to work with or a boss, and maybe they're dishonest. Maybe they're just cranky, you just don't like them. You know, early in life, we were talking about this in our class. We had a wonderful lesson in our class today and in a good time of discussion. But one of the things that happens when you're early in life, I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago, is you're hurt by people. And then later on in life, it doesn't have to be when you get old, it's just later you meet someone and you say, I don't, I don't like him. I don't like her. And somebody said, well, why? He said, I don't know. I just, you know what it is? Is they remind you of the person that hurts you. It may be their speech patterns. It may be the way they walk. It may be the way they look. It may be a lot of things. But that root of bitterness is so... you. you, you plowing under with a whole with religion, a whole lot of other stuff, but you're still so bitter. And your dislike for them is so strong that you, you dislike a whole lot of other people because you dislike them. And now everybody that, that even bears any semblance to them is under suspicion and, and you you become the loser for it. That's that's why Hebrews chapter twelve fifteen talks about it, it defiles uh, troubles you and it defiles many it troubles you you're not a happy person you carry this thing 
So what do you do? What, what do you do? What are you supposed to do when someone doesn't treat you right? There's a lot of answers to this, but I want to, I want to give you one. Because we're talking about, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Now, most people aren't going to do this. What we do is, is people that are good to us, we're good to them. People that are bad to us, we're bad to them. You know, somebody can do me a thousand kindnesses and hurt me, and they become my enemy. Stay with me. And somebody can be mean to a lot of people and be nice to me. We think they're a good guy. Because we're so fallen in our spirit, we become petty. Or we have an inflated ego that wants to believe what other people are saying. When maybe that person wants something from us, but we like hearing, getting pats on the back. We're not understanding that, hey, this has happened to other people before, and we're just about to be a victim too. It happens so often. What does the Bible say? How am I supposed to treat people that treat me wrong? Romans twelve eighteen. If it be possible, because sometimes it's not, as much as lieth within you, that means give it your best effort. As much, if, if you're able, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. All men, lost people, Christians, as much as possible. You know, some people glory in having a lot of enemies. There's no value in that. I don't think you ought to compromise. And sometimes you're going to have enemies. Because in this day and age, if you just... We were sharing with one of my friends today about people elevate opinions to truth... But if you have truth, people are going to hate you. But listen, people, people, it's okay if someone hates me because of my position. But it's not okay if they hate me because of my disposition. That's another thing. And I meet people all the time that say, well, they, 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 they just don't like me because of what I believe. No, 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 that's not it. That's not it. I don't like you either. I don't like you. I really, I really don't want to hang around with you. It's you. It's you. You don't smile. You're cranky. You're negative. It's not. It's not the truth. In fact, the truth makes you free. It's not the truth. It's you. You're arrogant. You're proud. You're negative. You don't have no. You have no hope. You're critical. It's not. Your disposition stinks. And it's listen, it's hard to have a right position. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, Paul is so, he, he does this over and again. You know, when, when he's fussing at them, he, he says, hey, you're, you're very dear to me. You're beloved to me. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. Ah, there it is. I like that verse. There we go. Give place under wrath. The Bible said, no, it says don't avenge yourselves. Now read the rest of the verse. It is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. He says, don't give place to your wrath. Don't, don't, you're not to do that. Now what do you do? Therefore. Now therefore means you, you back based on what's been said. So don't show wrath. You turn that over to God. Therefore, if your enemy, here's how you treat him. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For, for in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his eye. There it is. I'm going to make him miserable. Put them coals on his head. I love that verse. I knew it was in there. We're so wicked. 
We, we can't even have joy in serving. Oh, that's my life verse right there. And that day when people would, would bank their coals at night and they would go to bed. And, uh, and then they would uncover the coals in the morning for the fire. <clears throat> and they would have it for baking and cooking and so forth and to warm the house. Occasionally, the, the coals would die out. They would get up. Oh, no, I don't have any coals. So they would take a container, a little jar of sorts, and they would go to their neighbor and they would say, Could I borrow? Do you have any hot coals I could borrow? I said, Yes, I do. And they would take a shovel and they would put it in the container. And you would go to your neighbor and borrow coals. And usually it was the lady. She would take those coals and put them on her head and bring them back home and then put them in her fireplace so she would have warmth in the home and a fire. It was a neighborly thing to do. When you feed your enemy and you give him drink and so doing you're heaping coals of fire you're giving him something he doesn't have it's not to make him miserable it's not to put him under conviction i'm sorry i'm sorry to ruin your life first now here's the summation of it be not overcome of evil but overcome evil with good some of us as christians we're we're in bondage we have a stronghold of evil Uh, you hurt me i'm getting you back don't be overcome with evil. Overcome evil with what? With good. Now, this is the text. As we there have opportunity, let us do good. You know what doing good is? It's doing good to your enemies. Luke chapter 6, verse 35. Love ye your enemies. Oh, this is hard. This is graduate stuff. This is PhD stuff. Only the Holy Spirit of God can do this. You can't, you can't fake this. Love you, your enemies, and what? You do good. This is, this is do good. For, for nothing, and, and lend, hoping for nothing again. Just minister to them. Serve them. And your reward shall be great. Now this is in the end times. The judgment seat. And ye shall be children of the highest of your father. For he is kind unto the unthankful. Well, they're they're just unthankful. They don't deserve it. Do you deserve your father's mercies? For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. Now there's enough in those verses I've just given you to chew on. And both of them talk about doing good. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 15. See that none, none, no one render evil for evil unto any man. That means your brother that has cut you out of the will. That means your parent that says, I don't ever want to see you again. That means your child that has alienated you. That means your boss that has embarrassed you in front of other people. Oh, but they deserve it. You need to read the Word of God here. This is the way Christians behave. This this is the platform for your testimony. This is doing good. As you therefore have opportunity. This is an opportunity. It's a painful one. Do good unto all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good among yourselves, among Christians, and to all men. We need to be doers of good. Doers of good. And he defines that here. In 3 John, in verse 11, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good, and I've defined that for you. Let God define it for you here. 
He that doeth good is of God. He that doeth evil hath not seen God. When you retaliate, when you, well, they cuss me, I cuss them. Remember when Barney came in to see Andy? He said, Andy, how do you fight fire with fire? And Andy said, water? He said, no, with fire. Remember that? No, you, 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 you don't. It's not tit for tat. You, you don't come in. No, you don't do that. He that doeth good is of God. He that doeth evil hath not seen God. The Bible says in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good. He went about doing good. I love that line. He went about. He went about doing good. Everywhere he went, he just did good. Oh, that preacher, that's just Pollyanna. That's not real life. No, it's Bible life. He just did good. And part of the good is I just defined for you because I gave you Jesus' words. But that was his life. And he lived his life in dependence upon the Holy Spirit like you and I are supposed to. God, help me. Help Rick Johnson. Help me, Father, to go about doing good. Not in bondage to the flesh. Not in a reactionary life. Many years ago, about 40 years ago, I read a book called Your Reactions Are Showing. It's a little tiny booklet, but it's so good. Your Reactions Are Showing. The thesis of the book was this. It, it, is you're not spiritual because of your actions. <coughs> you can rehearse your actions. The Pharisees did that. Your spirituality is manifested by your reactions. When you come up and you hit a full glass like that, what's in it comes out. And let me drive with you in traffic and somebody cuts you off and and I see what you are. You see what I am. Let me Let me see how you behave when someone mistreats you, when someone disrespects you. That's who you are. And the only good in us is not us. It's Christ. It's the Holy Spirit of God. We were in a restaurant uh, years and years ago. This has been a long time ago. And someone that had, um, that had done, done me wrong personally, and, and it had kind of bled over in our family. Uh, I never talked to... Our family about church business, never. I just don't do it. But it was kind of a, a severe thing where it had got out and some of the kids had found out, the older kids. And um, and I most of the things I don't tell Paula just because I want to have a happy home and I, she just doesn't need to know all of the stuff. And, and the good news is, is we don't have church politics in general. But sometimes individuals, not as a corporate thing, but sometimes individuals can do that. And um, someone had kind of taken upon them to to be hurtful with some things. And so um, we were out eating, and so uh, they came up and, and they they talked to us after assailing my name. And talking negatively, and I, w- I was kind, I was gracious, and etc. And they left, and one of my children looked at me like this. I said, "What?" And here's what they said: They said, "Why were you nice to them? Why were you nice to them?" So why shouldn't I be? We, you, you know, you know the things they said. You, you know what they've been saying. Why were you nice to them? And it was a platform for me at the table to share with them about the importance of doing good. Matthew five says, "Bless them that 
persecute you. You know what the word bless is in the Greek? If I wrote it up here and put it for you to see, it's the word eulogize. You know what the word eulogize means? It means to speak well of. Bless those that curse you. Eulogize them. I'm not doing that. That's what Jesus said. Don't, Don't play that game. We not only witness by our words, but with our our works, and part of that is our is our verbal witness. And when you're gracious, you're not just believe that you're saved by grace, but you begin to live by grace. And sometimes people don't deserve your words; they don't deserve your time; they don't deserve your in, their, your energy because of the grace of God and what He's done for you. You're supposed to do that. And it becomes a platform. And you're doing it out of obedience to Christ. But it becomes a platform for your testimony. I wonder if if your father or your family member or your college roommate or a former friend or somebody in your life, I wonder if they'll go to hell. I'm very serious. I'm just throwing words at you. I'm very serious. If they will go to hell because of because of our because of our failure to overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. As you have opportunity. As you have opportunity, some of these opportunities are tough, man. As you have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good unto all men. All men. All men. I want you to bow your heads with me. I'm not finished, but God's finished for today. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, 